0: If you remember some number of weeks ago, there was a Sunday where I kept asking people to pray for me. I said, I'm in a funk. I just feel so messed up. And then um, during worship, I thought I heard God speak a scripture to me, and I never ended up actually speaking the message that I had that day. I talked a little bit from that scripture, and then I found out that one of you, as you were interceding because I asked for prayer, had seen the whole thing play out, which really blessed me because... Then I felt like rather than being all screwed up, I actually might have been following the Holy Spirit as I always prayed that I would. Anyway, the message that I had for that Sunday was on, uh, I would have called it stewardship, but it was really talking about tithing and about money. And it was, it was weeks before I found out from Dana that we actually are, are pretty far behind in our, our offering giving. So I'm, I'm glad that I had that message before I heard that. Anyway, I was struggling, struggling, struggling in the preparation for that message because I felt like I needed to tell you that the tithe is a good thing to do. But the tithe is always considered in the context of law, right? Well, the tithe is law, and I'm not under law anymore, so you can't tell me I'm supposed to tithe. And, you know, I've heard people say that so much that I I was just super anxious about not necessarily understanding. What's the relationship, not not just of the tithe, but of the law, for me as a New Testament believer? Someone who's not under law, but under grace. And then, you know, God did whatever he did for whatever his purpose was, and I, and I didn't speak that message because I never actually found that peace. And then we went into the whole thing about the tug-of-war for a number of weeks, and Dr. Yabo was here, and, and I kept telling Teresa, I'm going to preach that message. I'm going to preach that message in my own little small circle, that discipleship circle that we're doing, we've been reading the book of Romans. And as I was praying one morning, God started to connect the scriptures for me, and, and it was like absolute revelation. And if, if somebody would have asked me questions, I think I would have answered the questions correctly, but somewhere deep inside my heart, I don't think I really understood the answers other than technically. You know how you can have something in your brain but not so much in your heart? Kind of like that. So I was sitting down with Therese, and I'm like, Therese, man, I, you know, I really feel like God's given me something to say. And she says, well, what, you know, tell it to me. And I start telling it to her, she's like, stop, wait a minute, whoa, too much, you know, say it again, say it again. And we've been chewing on this, chewing on it, chewing on it to the place where it's like, wow, I hope that for all of you, this brings the kind of freedom and revelation that it's bringing to us. It's okay, by the way. Seriously, it's okay. Yeah, in Africa, he would have been just one of a hundred, and we learned And all of us as a church have learned that it's okay. All right, so don't worry. Okay, so next week I'm going to talk about money and about the tithe. But this week we have to understand that the tithe isn't a function of law. It's not a function of law. And once we understand that, then it opens. I mean, you could pick any door to go through. It turns out for us the door we're going to go through is the tithe as as a way to see this. That it's not a function of law. All right? Okay. Sound like I lost my place? I did. (laughs) Um, I'm going to come back to this, but but the purpose of the law was not so that God could find some way to control people better. It wasn't um, that he he sat down and and he thought, okay, I'm going to bring Moses up the mountain, I need, I need to give him some instruction. What should I define as good and what should I define as bad? It wasn't like that at all. The purpose of the law was to illuminate that which was good and that which was bad. And then it had a purpose in the redemptive plan of God for all of eternity. But the, the law in and it's, of itself wasn't about something new. It was about something that had always, always been. And then some processes that are associated with that. The law wasn't given to define right and wrong, but to illuminate what was true, which is right and wrong. So let's start here. Romans six fourteen through 18. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that, through, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." So, we are not, the first point, got to get this, we are not under law. We're under grace. We're not under law. We're under grace. See, I was, I was having this conversation with Teresa. I, I have a, a younger brother. I don't think he's saved. Only God knows. But let's say he's not, and I am. His righteousness comes from his ability to do right. And if he if he was perfect in his doing of right, at some point he would stand before God, he would be judged as righteous, and he would spend eternity with God. We know from the scripture that's not possible, right? He would be under law. I am not under law because my righteousness is not found in my having done everything right so that I could stand blameless before God and he would say, well done, son, come and spend eternity with me. My righteousness is found in Jesus Christ through grace. So I'm not under law I'm under grace, right? And if you, right, just like me, if you've confessed Jesus, if you've given your life to him as Lord, and you believe sincerely in your heart that he was the payment for your sin, that you weren't going to do it by doing well, you are going to do it because he did well, and your faith is in what he did, you also are not under law, but under grace. It's important that we understand that. The scripture says, speaking to the Christian now, if you haven't made that confession of faith or that profession of lordship, then you're not under grace, you're under law. And and you really need to consider that you need to be under grace because no one under law will ever be found righteous before God. Okay, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. Okay. So, that being true, and from these scriptures, it's really important that we understand that if you are in Christ... Your master is righteousness. Okay? You still have a master. You're still obligated. But your obligation is not to your master's sin through the power of the law. Your master and your obligation is to righteousness. I'm not under, under law. I'm under grace. My master is righteousness. That's what Paul said right at the end. And having been freed from sin, says at the beginning, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law but under grace. See, the power of sin is the law. I'm not going to get into that in any kind of detail, but it's important that you understand that without the law, sin has no power. It's only the empowering of the law that gives any kind of sin power to sin. So he starts off, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And he finishes with and having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You just got a new master. Amen? My master is righteousness. Okay. But if you're not in Christ, you serve sin by the power of the law. So because you're in Christ, you serve righteousness. If you weren't in Christ, you serve sin by the power of the law. That's just what the scripture says. Okay. Now let's look further into Romans, and and I'll I'll explain why I'm saying all this. Chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Okay, so there was one law at the beginning don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you sin, you die. It's, it's just a it's an absolute. If you sin, you die. They ate from the tree that they were told not to. Sin entered the world. They were banished from the garden, right? But there was no law to break between eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and when God gave law to Israel. Yet people died. There was no sin, there was no law. To impute the sin, but the sin was still sinful, right, so they died in their father Adam, because that was the only broken law they didn 't have any law to impute against sin. what Paul's trying to say is this that even though there was no law that said it 's not okay to steal, it was still not okay to steal, even though and, and it 's important we get this that that the law didn 't just illuminate sin, it also illuminate goodness, right. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It illuminated good things as well. So there was no imputation against sin when there was no law to illuminate it. For until the law, sin was in the world. People continued to sin. Things that are wrong were always wrong. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. Get it? Okay. Romans 3 and verse 20. Because by the works of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. I don't have this scripture in my list, but but Paul talked. He used the example of covetous, coveting. He said, "I never had a problem with coveting until coveting became sinful." It's like it was made sinful by the law that said, "You shall not covet." He said, "Once sin." was illuminated in coveting i coveted everything it's it's the knowledge of sin that the law brought okay the law itself is not bad sin is bad coveting is bad stealing is bad bearing false witness against your neighbor is bad but there was no imputation until the law illuminated i thought about it was too late but i thought about getting a like a little piece of whiteboard or something and and a special kind of pen that i could write sin on and you couldn't see it and then turn off all the lights and turn out a black light that would illuminate it, and all of a sudden you could see the sin. It was always there, but you needed the law or the particular light to illuminate it so that you'd be aware of it. Now it can be imputed against you. Romans 7, 12 and 13. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good, the law, so that through the commandment, the law, sin would become utterly sinful. Let me read that back to you again, and I'll stop point by point. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The law is absolutely good. It's righteous. The specific commandments are holy, and they're righteous, and they're good. So then he goes on to say, well then, did that which is good, the law, become a cause of death for me? May it never be. See, the cause of death was not the law. The cause of death was the sin. The law caused the imputation of the sin against the sinner, which in turn brought death. But the law itself is good and holy and righteous. You've got to get that. Now, not all of the, the law that was given to Moses is still in place today. But the law in and of itself is good, and it's holy, and it's righteous. You should repeat that after me. The law, the law. and the commandments, the commandments are good, are good. and holy, holy. And, righteous. and righteous. He goes on then, rather, not the law that killed me, rather it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin. See, it was the death, the dying, caused that sin to be a little, oh my gosh, it's horrible. It caused me to die by affecting my death through which, through that which is good so that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Now, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew 5, 17 through 19. And, and, and I picked the NIV instead of my New American Standard, because the the New American Standard used the word annul. And I wasn't exactly sure what the word annul meant in this context, but the NIV and some other translations use the word break. So when you hear this, that's the reason why I use the NIV here. Do not think that I have come to abolish, this is Jesus speaking, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Why? Because it was holy and it was good and it was righteous. He came to fulfill the law. But he said not one tiny little dot of an I or cross of a T of the law will go away until all is accomplished. So Jesus fulfilled the law for righteousness, right? You have a choice. You can try to become righteous before God in your own doing. Bible tells you that's a fool's errand. It can't be done. So here you are, you're Israel, and you got all these laws. It's like, okay, okay, i gotta, I got to keep the law because I want to be righteous before God. I think I'm going to walk over there and get something to eat. Uh, wait a minute, the law says I start first with my left foot. Oh, I almost broke the law. You can't do it. It's not possible. And God knew that all along. He brought the law so that you could know that sin was sinful. Yeah. And then he built all these ways to deal with your sin that never cleansed you. Completely. So every year we got to have the the Day of Atonement and sheep and goats and bulls and rams and blood and all this kind of stuff has to be done to deal with sin, but it doesn't ultimately deal with sin. Then when the time was exactly right, he brought his son. And he set him in the likeness of sinful flesh, humble to come and be a man while he was always still God, offer himself as a sacrifice so you can be righteous, or you can try to be righteous in your own doing, or you can find your righteousness in what he did. The only way to be righteous before God is in in Jesus Christ. And once you do that, you are no longer under law. You're under grace. But your master is righteousness. You see, Jesus, when he says that he didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them, and that none of that was going to go away until everything is accomplished. See, loving your neighbor as yourself is not fully accomplished. That law has not gone away. It's still in place. And then he says this, which really, it messes with me my in my, my fortress, not me, my fortress of kingdom. It's like whoever keeps these commands, the law, and teaches others to do so will be considered great in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever breaks them and teaches others to do the same will be least in the kingdom of heaven. And I say, well, wait a minute. I can understand the guy that does what you told him to do and keeps the law being great in the kingdom of heaven, but the guy who breaks the law, he not only breaks it, he tries to get other people to break it. How does he get into the kingdom of heaven? Because he's not under law. He's under grace. His master's righteousness doesn't mean that he did it well. It means that he's under grace. And we got this problem culturally I think is a big piece of it but it's like I'm a christian but I'm afraid to take this foot out of law because I know if I do bad I got to get punished I know if I do bad there's a price to pay for it and and I don't really know the total answer to that sowing and reaping something in this life more reward less reward I think that's what he's saying but you got to get I got to get my foot out of the law and in the grace because I'm never going to be perfect Not that I can't, I think I can, but practically I'm probably never going to be perfect. And if I keep that fortress in my head and the devil's voice in my head, I messed up again, I need to die. I do, if I'm under law. But I'm not under law, I'm under grace. I am righteous, I am righteous. I didn't have to do anything but believe, I'm righteous. Why? Because of what he did. Because of what he did. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because of what he did. And then the next time I goof up, there's that voice. Remember the tug of war, back and forth. There's that voice trying to get me to back to death and trying to convince me that I'm under law. I'm not under law. I'm under grace. So I can do whatever I want. Let it never be. Why? Because I have a new master, and his name is Righteousness. I'm obligated to do Right? Sorry. I go off on a rant and I lose myself. (laughs) Praise God, huh? (laughs) See, the law has a place in the kingdom. It totally does. Jesus said so. The law has a place in our lives. It totally does. At least that part that's still not been fulfilled. It totally has a place in the Christian's life. The problem is we can't let the... The, the thing that's holy and good and righteous draws back into the place of being under it Amen. as opposed to serving it in righteousness. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be it makes me smile the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit You see God knew the law couldn't be successful as a path to righteousness because flesh is too weak so he had to offer a different way he always knew that That's why he sent Jesus Sin has always been sinful without regard to having the law to illuminate its sinfulness. The law and the commandments are holy and righteous and good. The law was really, little of this might be just Pat speaking, so you know maybe you don't write doctrinal statements out of this one, but I think this is true. I, think, I feel confident. Two primary purposes of the law. One was to eliminate, eliminate <laughs> illuminate the sinfulness of sin. And the second was to make us understand, and I bet you, I guarantee you, when we see how holy and sanctified God is, and we look at however many hundreds of laws there were, it is just a drop in the bucket of holiness. I mean, he didn't, he didn't need all of them. He could have made a 1,000 more if he wanted to. But the second key that the law brought was our rec- a, a thing that forced us to recognize that we needed a Savior, not discipline. Because no discipline is going to get us saved, righteous by way of the law. So it illuminates that sin is utterly sinful, and it gives us a sense that, man, if I'm trying to be right with God by doing good things, it's never going to happen. I have to have a Savior. Excuse me. I'm just gonna. I, I I hate to just read to you, but I want. I just want to make sure I get this the way I feel like I got it. It's critical that we understand that the end of the authority of law, because of grace, does not nullify the goodness or evil of the things the law illuminated. Does that make sense? That the end of the authority of the law, because of grace, doesn't nullify that the law illuminated good things and it illuminated evil things. The law is not about itself, but a vehicle, a mechanism to serve righteousness. The law was never about the law. The law was always about righteousness. It was just, it was just a way to get something done. We elevate the law, which is holy and good and righteous, to a place that it doesn't have. It's just a tool that God used. John the Baptist was a tool that God used. Each and every one of us is a tool that God uses for his glory and for his purposes. That's what the law was. Law served to expose sin in both of its expressions, as commission and omission. Right? So... You can leave your wallet sitting on the chair, and when you turn your head, I could grab it and steal it. That's a sin of commission. I've committed a sin. But the, the New Testament also says that to the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him that is also sin. So the law exposed love your neighbor as yourself. And if you, if you don't love, it's a sin of omission. If you do the things it tells you not to do, if you covet, if you bear false witness, I mean, pick one. That's a sin of commission. So the law didn't just illuminate the sin of commission, but also the sin of omission. For in Christ, we're not under the law, but under grace, with a new master whose name is righteousness. That means that our obligation is to do right. Why do we do right? Because the law says we have to? No, because it's the right thing to do. That's what it means to serve righteousness. What's the right thing to do? Leave the wallet where it was. Righteousness says the law says I don't I don't I could take it and if I'm under grace there is no eternal death penalty because I broke the law because it's not my master anymore Let me give you a real world example. Both both things in this example. So um, you and I go to a restaurant nice restaurant and we order a meal and and and. and the the waiter or waitress, you know, takes our order and brings us drinks and brings our, our food and picks up the plates after us and is there anything else that I can do for you? Nope, you know, we're good. Okay, then he brings a bill and he sets it down in front of us. And the bill's a hundred dollars. And underneath the hundred dollars is a little line where you could write a tip if you wanted to, and then a place to put total. So you write twenty dollars, because that would be a twenty percent tip. Underneath that $100 bill, you make a total of $120. Why did you pay the 100 If you didn't pay the 100 is there a problem that you have? Yeah. You ate that restaurant's food. You saw the price before you ordered it. You made an agreement that if you'll present this food to me in, a, in an acceptable way, I'm going to pay you the price that you said. And if I don't pay that bill, i got a problem with the law. And if I don't make right that problem, then there's a consequence. But I also put $20 in for a tip. What if I put zero and got up and walked away? Do I have any issue with the law? No, because I have no legal obligation to put a tip in there. Why did I put the tip in there? Because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. Righteousness... Dry, well, really, righteousness drives that I pay the bill, too, right? I mean, it, it would be sinful and there would be a legal penalty for it, but righteousness says you pay the bill. You ate the food, you ask them to prepare it for you, you pay the bill. But the master who demands and will assure that that justice happens is law. But you do the tip out of grace. That server is dependent upon your goodness for their livelihood. Because the price of their salary is not in your stake. It's in your wallet. It's in your, really, it's in your heart. And you do it because it's right. So now, as a Christian, under grace and not the law, you do good things. You serve the law. You love your neighbor as yourself. You don't steal. You don't covet. You don't bear false witness because they're the right things to do. There's still a, a... tremendous part of the christian walk it's just the motivation that's changed now the ultimate motivation is love because god didn't have he had no law that said you created him you got to find a way to get him into heaven he created them, he gave every opportunity he gave him one way to demonstrate love and that's through obedience obeying the law that says just all of this is yours name the fish name the animals Take control and dominion over the whole thing. It's all for you, but you don't eat from this one tree. If you do, you're going to die. It's not like you didn't know. He had no obligation to send his son. It was grace that sent his son. It's faith that receives his grace unto righteousness. But the law, now next week when we talk about the tithe, it'll be my, my responsibility to explain to you the tithe in such a way that you would agree that it's right. Because that would be your obligation, if you had any obligation at all. But the, the scripture even teaches that you don't give under compulsion, right? You give because it's right. Because you look at the circumstances, you look at the scriptures, and you say, Lord, what's the right thing to do? So, so my obligation, if I think the tithe is, is appropriate for now, is to convince you that it's right. Then you just do what's right. Amen? Okay. Okay. Philippians 3 and 9, this is Paul speaking about himself. And it's, it's like Paul has these massive, at least in my New American Tan, these massive run-on sentences that go for paragraphs without a dot to just kind of let you catch your breath. So it's, it's a little weird to me to take the middle of a sentence, but otherwise it'd be about a long time to read, and it is one verse. So Paul speaking of himself, may I, that I may be found in him, Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry, 3, 9. Philippians 3.9 And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me just close this way. The new covenant is righteousness by grace through faith in what was done on our behalf in Jesus. The previous covenant... Being righteous was based upon our ability to meet a standard defined by the law. The law was not the covenant, but a vehicle serving righteousness. In itself, the law and the commandments are righteous and holy and good. Relationship with God, whether temporal, now, in this physical earth, or eternal, has been and always will be found in righteousness. Covenant only defines the means to the end. The covenant... Of law, defined the means unto righteousness. Keep the law. The covenant of grace by faith defines the means to righteousness. In what Jesus did, and our faith in him as Lord and Savior. So we just have to understand the place that law has. Because the, the stronghold is that if it's law, it's not now. I'm past law, I'm not under law, don't talk to me about law. But Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. And Paul said it's righteous and it's holy and it's good. See, the stronghold wants us to pretend like anything that's, that's defined or described in the law is Old Testament, not for now. I have grace, don't, I'm not listening to Pat. It's not like that at all. The law is excellent. Some of it's not in place anymore. I haven't gone through the six or eight or nine hundred, however many laws there are, to try to have any really deep understanding of which ones have been fulfilled and which ones have not been fulfilled. The ones that are reiterated, the things that are spoken of in the New Testament make it easy for us to know that we don't have to sacrifice bulls and goats and rams for sin, because that was done once, with the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, once and for all. So the fact that that, that Israel sinned, and then there had to be an atoning sacrifice, and Israel sinned, and there had to be an atoning sacrifice. The issue was that the sacrifice wasn't perfect. And the offerer, even though he, he may have been high priest, picked by God, wasn't perfect. But when Jesus, as high priest, offered himself as perfect and spotless Lamb of God, that was done. There is no more need for that. So that part of the ritual system of the law doesn't exist anymore. But the part that says love your neighbor as yourself, only serve one God. Don't covet. Don't steal. Those things, absolutely, they're still in place. But failing to do them perfectly does not condemn you because you're not under law. You're under grace. Your righteousness is found in the fact that he didn't, not that you don't. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now listen, I think I get this. I I mean, I've, I've been chewing on this and chewing on this. This was the stumbling block for me not to be able to teach anything that seemed like it was found in the law, and I think I get it. But, man, it has taken a lot of chewing and a lot of over and over again. Wait a minute, say that again? Help me understand. What's that say? So please, 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 please look at the Scriptures. I mean, if you read the first six or seven chapters of Romans, eight chapters of Romans, You're going to see basically this whole thing play itself out. But if if you still find yourself struggling with what's the place of law in my life as a New Testament believer, please call, or please call somebody else and, and, and wrestle this thing to the ground. Because the freedom, the freedom is really in the understanding that the law has no binding effect on us. It's grace through what Jesus did. We are free. Hallelujah. Amen.